Back in January, I came across a terrific piece of writing by author Paul Jarvis. One part of it in particular really spoke to some of the things that I've been wrestling with over the years, specifically loving what you do and following your passion and the obsession that often goes along with each of these things. I ended up subscribing to Paul's newsletter and regardless of whether you're a full-time creative, an enthusiastic amateur, or someone in the middle just trying to live a more creative or interesting life, there are so many valuable insights and observations that it's quickly become one of my favorite weekly reads. I shared the piece with John, and while he wasn't familiar with it, he had actually spoken to Paul before. And since John is just as big a fan of rabbit holes as I am, I thought it might be fun to unpack it a little. I'm Jeffrey Sidoris, I'm talking to John Wilkening, and this is In Between. I think it was after I read this, Uh, (laughs) but, uh, and this is just part of the quote, but the quote goes, I work mostly because it pays the bills. It serves my purpose or ego that I help people do better. And I mostly enjoy it. But really, I work not because it's super happy, fun time each and every time I turn on my computer, but because if I do a bit of work first, then I have the freedom to not work later. Sometimes I feel shame and guilt for not working, but I also feel shame and guilt sometimes when I am working because there are other non-work things I should be doing. There's a darker side of finding passion in our work that thought leaders and college professors neglect to tell us. The part where our passion consumes us. The part where it becomes like Shiva, the destroyer of worlds. And worlds are our relationships and contentment. The part where even knowing that, knowing its penchant for utter obliteration of everything else, we can't trade it away or find balance. The part where we can know how consumed we are by it and still do nothing to fix or salvage other aspects of our lives. The part where it becomes who we are. Full stop. Mm-hmm. Man, that, that rang so true to me. You know, mm-hmm. at, at various seasons in my life, I have been, am still that person that gets absolutely consumed by whatever current passion I happen to be following or indulging in, you know? Do do you associate that consumption as being positive or negative? Oh, I mean, I think it's a double-edged sword. You know, I think, I think following you know, there's a lot of talk about following your passion, follow your passion, follow your passion. And that's great, but I don't think it's the, I don't think it's the panacea for everyone. You know, I think that, look, if I'm passionate about playing basketball, but I'm, you know, five foot nine and can't jump for shit. (laughs) Just as a, as an example, you know, I'm not going to be a basketball player Mm -hmm. or, you know, if, 
I mean, pick pick something. If I if I want to be a cook, but I have no palate, I don't know that that's going to work. So I think it can be a bad thing. I think it it's it's there's something you know. I was talking to Sean one time. Uh, this is a while back, but he was saying that there's there's this kind of a it's a very American trait of just because you want something, you think you should be able to succeed and do well and earn a living at it. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's not the way Brits look at things. That's not the way people in the UK tend to look at things. And I think that there's a lot of truth to that. We, we tend to assume, well, you know, I want to be a photographer, so I'm going to go get some gear and I'm going to learn a little bit about photography and I'm going to go out and be a photographer. And because I want it, I should be able to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, I don't know that that's a realistic way to look at it. I mean, it's great that you have a, a fire in your belly about a pursuit, a creative pursuit or an intellectual, pre- whatever it is, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to excel or succeed at it. Mm-hmm. Like part of me is definitely torn on that whole thing because on one hand, you're absolutely correct that there's certain things that are almost like immediate obstacles that would prevent one from achieving something, even if you're passionate about it, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, not that I'm particularly passionate about it, but like, I know I don't have a face for TV. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, you know, there's a certain prerequisite to, you know, or like, like I love to be a rock star, but I don't, I can't play an instrument. I can't sing like, you right. know, there's, there's certain things, but at the same time, that notion is very limited because we feel that our skill set is, is stuck in a particular, I don't know, framework or set a point in time. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of that all consuming passion is that, for positive and negative is that you're willing to to in the words of churchill go from one failure to another without any loss of enthusiasm right right and especially when you're starting something that is almost more useful than skill because because i think any any task or anything out there to achieve the the top echelon of that you're going to deal with all sorts of kind of terrible like you're you're going to deal with so many setbacks right just by the nature of it and you have to you have to be able to press through it rather than just focus on what comes easy to you. So where does something, where does someone like, like Gary V fit into the mix? Cause you and I have talked about Gary V a number of times and I, I think he's terrific. I don't think his approach advice game plan is for everyone. I think Gary has a very specific 
And what was the Liam Neeson movie? I've got a very specific, a very particular set of skills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think Gary has that. He's got a very particular way of thinking, a very particular skill set that allows him to win and succeed in that market. But let's face it, you've got a ton of Gary V fans, followers that are trying to do the same thing, but they're not achieving on the level or at the same consistency that he seems to be. Mm -hmm. I think part of his thing is, is this sort of understanding that he's going to give you exactly what made him successful Mm -hmm. in 90. And he knows that 99% of the people aren't going to achieve what he's achieved following his advice because they're like success on that level is such a, a unique set of circumstances. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, there will be someone who takes what he says and it does achieve that. Mm hmm. What it comes down to is it like there he become he sets the path for those that are the those particular ones are gonna follow, but in the process he entertains everyone through right. his process, but there's this mistaken idea that that they could achieve the same things just by mistakenly doing what he's doing right if that makes sense. But I, th- I think that's part of the problem with, with not necessarily people like him, but messages like those that he delivers is, hey, I can do this. You can do this. Do what I did. You'll get the same results. But it, I, I don't think it's as simple as that. No, I don't. You know, I think he is able to spot trends. I think he is able to, to read groups of people in business you know, almost in the same way that Jobs could could see around corners in terms of technology to show us what we didn't know we needed. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Gary Vee is similar in that he talks about things that he's working on that seem to be ahead of the curve of where everyone else is at. Yeah. Yeah. And like this was part of the reason he also he started Gary the like his vlogging stuff. Mm-hmm. His pace is like the average person, his pace will kill them. (laughs) (laughs) But like the thing I think he correctly says is that is that if you want work-life balance, have work-life balance. If you want to buy an NFL team, you're going to have to work at a pace that is almost unchallenged. Mm Mm-hmm. And like that's that's an interesting thing because especially in the age of Instagram, it's so easy to just look at the the highlights of something, right? And go, oh, I want that life, right? But don't understand what it takes to get that life, right? Right. I want the peaks. I don't want the valleys in between. Yeah, yeah. And it sort of ties into uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's advice to people is. You know, most people look at it and go, I want to do this dream job. 
and they only look at it from the standpoint of what's the peak and not the daily, in her words, shit sandwich that mm-hmm. people have to li- eat. Mm-hmm. It, it's like the, you know, everyone wants to be a writer when they look, when they publish this book and everyone loves it. No one wants to be a writer when you're sitting in a coffee shop after your last book flopped right. going, can I write something else? Yeah. Or with the, you know, the, the, the classic Stephen King story of the, the nail in his wall that just kept getting added to by, re, you know, rejection letters until mm-hmm. finally somebody said yes. Yeah. And it's one of those where like find the job that you could tolerate the worst part of it. Mm-hmm. But doesn't that get us back to what you just said about Gary in terms of buying an NFL team? You're going to have to you're going to have to forego the work life balance and and put in more. Doesn't that get us back to the quote from the beginning about the downside or the the dark side of following your passion is that it can consume everything? Yeah, no, absolutely. And in some ways, I'm not sure if that may be the price to be paid. And I say that almost regrettably because I understand how, like, there is a very dark side of that statement. Mm-hmm. And, like, sp- particularly in the creative fields, the creative industries are littered with people who've taken that very, very negatively. But I don't think someone hits that point without being a little obsessed. You know, you don't get to like Neil Peart's level of drumming without spending hours and hours at your drum set. Right. And you don't do that without being obsessed about it. You know, Winogrand died with, was it a thousand rolls of undeveloped film? You know, there's an extreme where you get so focused that you literally blow through everybody else around you. But on the flip side, I don't think greatness comes from balance either. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is the struggle, right? How do you balance giving up balance? <laughs> Especially when you don't know or there's no way to know what's on the other side of that. You're you're paying the price without knowing what you will receive in the future. Right. And you and, and I guess you have to make that decision at the beginning, at the onset. Am I okay? with diving headlong into this, not knowing what's on the other side, am I okay if it doesn't go the way I want it to go? Yeah, that that becomes the the challenge of living creative lives. Mm-hmm. Is that you can, you could invest so much time, energy, money, fill in the blank, and be left with very, very little to show for it. And like, that's just one of those things where it just is what it is. Does it speak to the type of person maybe best suited for that sort of uncertainty? You know, I, I struggle with it. I mean, you know that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I need to know what's out there. Maybe not completely, but I need to know. I need to know that there's tarmac there before I jump. And I think that at some points in my life that has held me back. Do you think that there's an alternative history, so to speak, an alternative version of your life? Hmm. That's a good question. 
you know, like they talk about like the world being fractal and that there's some version of you that's made every decision that you could possibly make and live the lives according to that. Yeah. Do you think there's a version of that where at various points in your life you went, quote unquote, all in? Or they did. I didn't, but uh, that they yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. And, and like, obviously, you'll never know per se. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's a that's a good question. I don't know that I would want to necessarily be that version mm-hmm. of myself, but I know that I have become more cautious. And I don't even know if cautious is the right word, but less willing to go all in on what I'm interested in or passionate about than I was when I was younger. Why do you think that's the case? I don't know, because as you know, as you have so poignantly reminded me over the years, on some levels, I'm a burn it down, like I'm I'm a burn it to the ground kind of person. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I have a hard time sort of reconciling how those two things can coexist, how I can be so, I mean, is, is it caution or is it just outright fear? Of of not landing, I don't know. That's a, that's a, that's maybe that's another question for another day. But how how that can exist with with that, you know, again, as you put it, that just burn it to the ground side of my personality. I, while you're while we're talking about this, the thought that popped in my head is that with you in particular, I think your you've cultivated a skill set that is in some ways different than what normally would be associated with hitting greatness. And let me <laughs> completely explain. useless. Go ahead. You can <laughs> say it. <laughs> no, no, see, I don't think it is very completely useless. I think I'll be willing to bet your next 10 years could be very career defining. And I'll explain the thing that I think makes you fascinating and makes you great to use that term is that you are pulling from so many different places and what happens is that traditionally in the past in with very like to be the greatest photographer you had to be so singular focused on that medium Mm-hmm. And often in that medium, a very small subset of that medium, you had to be so hyper focused that you got so good at that hyper focus that it elevated everything up to a level that people could see it and recognize it. But what you've done is you've become proficient in this whole subset of things to where instead of being great in a singular you're good in the multitude and traditionally it's a lot harder for someone of that skill set to sort of rise above because in any singular endeavor you could look at and see people that are effectively greater than you that makes sense yeah i mean and and And, thank you for saying that I, i i do i don't I often don't know what to do with it, but thank you. 
know. I'm gonna make you uncomfortable by complimenting. Yeah, you. yeah. Uh, um, uh, um, I don't see that though, John. I, I, I feel like, I feel like I'm walking on a street filled with gum that people have thrown away, and I keep getting stuck in it. Do you know what I mean? Like I, every direction I go that I'm interested in going in, there's something that I get stuck in that keeps me from going very far in that direction. You, you just get spun out a lot. Yes. Yes. Over nonsense a lot of times. But on the other side of that, I think that I, I am able to see some of what you're saying. And I, and I, and I am able to recognize that there is value in the things that I've been curious about for the past 20 years that, that through podcasting, I am now allowed to leverage and pull from to move me forward. Mm -hmm. And podcasting is entirely where my statement about the future applies to you. Mm -hmm. Because podcasting is one of the few mediums that that range of abilities and interests is a benefit. Right. Yeah. It's, a, it's, yeah, it's actually useful. Yeah. And, and those of us who've been in podcasts and listened to podcasts feel that podcasts are everywhere and it's been around forever, but it's, we're literally just in the infancy of it developing into what it can become. Mm -hmm. And, it's one of those where with the right framework and the right effort and the right consistency, you can build a legacy for yourself. Have we gotten to a point where, and I, I think I know the answer. I know what I want the answer to be. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put it that way. Uh, have, have we reached that point yet? Where that person, because I know a lot of people who want to start podcasts, I get asked a lot about podcasts. I just had a, a client call earlier today with someone who their organization wants to start a podcast. Have we gotten to a point where the individual can no longer make a, is the pond too big for the individual to make a splash in? Uh, No, it just requires... Consistent effort, mm -hmm. like the consistent effort and uh, authenticity that people don't understand, or at least don't recognize. Mm -hmm. Like the problem with most people going, "Hey, my company wants to start a podcast," is no one wants to listen to you, your company talk about their podcast. Like, is it interesting? Right. Most people look at it from most people are starting a podcast from the standpoint of this looks simple, looks easy to do, and I could become like famous or like it's good marketing, fill in the blank type deal. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think a lot of people know how to be interesting on a podcast. Is is that enough? Is is that's a okay? I just something just popped into my head. <laughs> The, the quote at the beginning about about the passion that, you know, kind of overwhelms or, or consumes us is the desire to be interesting and to be surrounded 
by interestingness. Is that enough or is it too broad of a stroke? I, I think the, I don't, I don't know if it's too broad a stroke. I think there, I think the biggest thing is that you have to be interested in what the other person's saying Mm -hmm. in an almost, you know, we talked about playing idea tennis before or like where you just throw out something and then people go, I'll take this and run with it. Right. And be as honest as you possibly can in that endeavor. And I think most people, when they get on like a podcast, they're almost too aware that other people are listening and they're handicapped by what they find interesting or interesting or what they tolerate Mm -hmm. from an idea standpoint. See, and I think that's where we are sitting in a, in a really interesting spot, both as friends and, and as friends producing a show is there's an agility because there are so many things that individually and collectively that we're interested in. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. And I think this, this medium podcasting as a, as a form of, of expression and entertainment and education and all of that thing, it's, it's, it's such a fantastic platform to be interested in a ton of things. Mm -hmm. Especially for somebody who loves talking to people and loves having, you know, conversations or, or doing interviews or whatever it is, because my, my background has allowed me to be interested in a lot of different things and, and those interests, and you're the same way, those interests allow us to be able to talk to maybe not at their level, if it's a niche or or a specialized kind of field, but to have a conversation with virtually anyone and come at it with enthusiasm and inquisitiveness that allows or encourages that person to go deeper into what interests them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. You know, we both talk to people who you ask them a question and they they sort of give you a sort of straight answer, but they, they just almost like surface level it. And part of you goes, come on, just, just sit with the question just a little bit longer. I mean, I think this is, this is one of the things that I love so much about this is I, I I love, okay. I, I am, I am envious of, of people for whom that one thing that they're pursuing is the one thing that they're passionate about and, and, and curious about and good at. Mm -hmm. But I can say that that's never been me. Mm -hmm. I've always been interested in multiples of things. And Mm -hmm. while not necessarily great at those things, I'm curious and interested. And, and this platform allows me to feed that curiosity. Mm-hmm. And I can say that in the last several years, I've met some of the most interesting people I've ever met because of this, because mm-hmm. of being open and interested and, and not saying, well, I'm going to do th- this, be- not because I don't want to do that, but 
because I don't really want to limit myself to this because there's this other thing over here that I kind of like too. The the beauty of you is that you have no choice but to be interested. You know, I think in the past you've basically said, I wish I could just be focused on one thing because mm-hmm. it looks easier in the like, then I don't have to worry about a million other things. Right. Well, and it, and it gives, it gives people a way, it gives the world a way to define you and it gives, it gives you a way to define yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you and I have both been, been on the receiving end of that. So what do you do question? <laughs> yeah. And, and you have to stand there for a minute and go, okay, who am I talking to? What, what really do they want to hear? Yeah. And what have I been working on lately that I can speak to that will make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, it's hard not to have, and I don't want to sound like, oh, it's, you know, woe is me, but it's difficult not to have an answer to that question. Because it is the question that everyone asks you, especially when you first meet someone. Yeah. And to not have an answer at the ready, you feel like an idiot. (laughs) Uh, And I I, I struggle. I have struggled with that. I don't struggle with it much anymore. Um, I've given myself permission to use the shorthand. I'm a podcaster and a painter. Mm Mm-hmm. And that usually inspires a, a follow-up question, you know, not so much on the painting side, but I think more so on the podcasting side. I mean, to your point about, you know, it, it, podcasting kind of being, it's, it's an interesting thing because it's everywhere and yet it's still this kind of nebulous thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think, uh, Things like XM adding podcasts and iHeartRadio and Spotify and and that kind of thing, making making the listening process a little more seamless where you don't have to go get this app, which still kind of, you know, it's still, it doesn't confuse people, but, oh, I don't, I don't have that. I mean, I know a lot of people who go, well, I don't, I don't listen to podcasts because I don't have the app to listen to them. And it's like, well, you have an iPhone. Yes, you do. Oh, I do. (laughs) And they just, they just don't know because it's not as ubiquitous as radio mm-hmm. yet, but I don't think it's, I also don't think it's the sort of wild west, you know, I yeah, think, no. I think we're, we're, we're moving towards something to your point that you made earlier. It's a really exciting time to be either in it or getting into it because I don't think we've seen the potential. I listen to some fantastic narrative podcasts and, and you know, up until maybe, I mean, when, when did they start kind of really coming on the scene five, six years ago when, when everything was really kind of niche or, or they were interview shows, but now you've got these well-produced radio dramas that are going on that are, and I, I, I use radio drama. So we have a point of reference. They're not, obviously they're not on radio, but mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah, um, no, absolutely. but they're, they're well-produced and they're interesting and the, the, the narratives are compelling. And I think the, the statistics are starting to reflect that, you know, that, that people may not listen every day, but I run into more and more people that know what a podcast is and can rattle off a few of their favorites. And some of them are podcasts I've never heard of before. And I, you know, happily, you know, jot them down and I'll go, 
check them out and some get into my rotation and, and some I don't. Have we become the podcast that talks about podcasting? <laughs> How meta. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, you know, back all the way to the quote, being consumed by something isn't necessarily a good or bad thing. It's sort of what, how you let it consume you. Mm-hmm. There, ha- there, in order, it, like, it has to be almost controlled consumption. There has to be limits to it, or else it starts taking out people around you. You know, then you're, you know, there's a price to pay. Are there periods for you, and you don't, you know, don't feel like you have to get detailed if there are, but have there been periods for you where looking back, you go, mm, I may have been too deep there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Mm. You know, there's, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think you find what works for you without finding what doesn't work for you. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where it's like, it's nice having a partner who's like, hey, I'd like to see you once or twice. <laughs> a month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> it, it's cool that you're into something, but. <laughs> right. It, it can't be, it can't be everything. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. I've been, I've been doing this for 12 years. And on one hand, I still don't feel like I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Partially because I think the industry is is changing, the expectations of the industry are changing, but partially because there hasn't been a plan. I've just kind of done it, you know, mm-hmm. and what I've wanted to do. And I, in fact, I, I just talked to a couple people in the last week that I spoke to for the first time 10 years ago. Oh, and wow. yeah, and I, I asked if they would be willing to have another conversation 10 years on. and kind of see where, you know, what's changed, where, where are they at? Not, not, not like a, where are they now? Like, what have you been doing? But just talk about the evolution of the past 10 years mm-hmm. to go from one decade to another and, and how that has affected their lives. And I've been thinking about going, going back to some of those people, more of those people that I talked to a decade ago and having another conversation a decade later just as a marker, as a, as a point of reference of, mm-hmm. of their lives and, and my life. Do you, to, to, it's a perfect time to ask this question, but is there anything in the last 10 years that you 10 years ago thought was true that you now think is false and vice versa? Uh, yes. 10 years ago, I, <laughs> This is this is going to sound goofy, but 10 years ago, <laughs> perfect. I really thought that I was going to have a show like, you know, This American Life or Radio Lab, something that everyone listened to. Mm-hmm. I really thought that that was possible, that that was the benchmark by which I would measure how good I was at it or how successful the show was or or, or whatever, right? Obviously that's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> but the other side of that, what I, what I didn't think, what I didn't, it's not that I didn't think it was true. I didn't know it to be true. And that is how, how grateful I would, how grateful I would be at the end of this 10 years 
for the opportunities to talk to people and connect with people and hear how some random thing I said affected their lives in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And, and that has become the new measure of success in what I'm doing. Connecting with that person who writes you an email or sends you a text message or sends you something in the mail with a note that just says, thanks. That, that, that's. I know it's, I still have no idea how to answer those people. I've gotten a few of them like, Hey, or that, that conversation really meant something, you know, fill in the blank. I still have no idea. Like part of me just wants to be like, cool. But part of me is like deeply, deeply touched. Yeah. It's one of those, like, I still have no idea how to answer that, but thanks everyone who does. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think on some level, the way you thank them is by continuing to do it. Mm-hmm. continuing to have the conversations, to try and answer the questions, to try and work through what it is that you or that person that you're talking to, providing a, a, a safe and comfortable environment that they can talk about what they're trying to work through. That, that's mm-hmm. how you say thank you, I think, I hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great, great point there. Damn it, John. <laughs> this is why you like talking to me it is it is i yeah it is but it it just when when you get those things the fact that someone stopped what they were doing in the middle of their day at the end of their day on their drive home whatever it is and took the time to to reach out means the world absolutely means the world to me yeah, I don't know where to go from here. <laughs> it was I just one know. of those. It was just one of those questions I've 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 heard asked of it at, of different people, and I'm always like, "That's a great question." Yeah, it is, uh, and I know I'll think about it a lot from, from <laughs> for a while here. Hey, you could use it anytime you want. I, think, I appreciate so, that. I appreciate that. Though I will when the interviewer goes great question i'll count that i'll count that in my book i'll get an email from you a running tally you you gave you gave me a great question for someone and i thought it was so funny because sylvia i i was asking her i forget who i was talking to now but she asked the same question and it was it was and I'll, 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 I'll make it kind of generic because the subject matter is, is largely irrelevant, but what is in, in what you do, what is the most, what is the most popular version of what you do? And what is that thing that you are most proud of in what you do? And I just thought it was fascinating because you both asked, you both gave that as a, as a question to ask someone and it's it's a question that has never occurred to me, I can say. But I think it's such a fascinating question. I actually know exactly where that came from. Tell um, me. So it was uh somebody who like a chef. I I 
he's in the cooking industry. I'm not, I forget if he was a chef or he like reviewed restaurants mm-hmm. and he said when he goes into restaurants, what he loves to do is ask the chef, like, give me your most popular dish and give me the dish mm. you're most proud of. Mm-hmm. Now that you say that, I remember that conversation. I don't remember what episode it is. Maybe I'll go look it up, but I remember that was the context of it. Yeah. And because those are usually two very different things. Yeah. And I, I don't and, remember with Sylvia who I was talking to. It might have been a musician or it might have been, I don't know. But she said this. I thought it was fascinating because she said the same thing. Ask, ask him what he's most known for and what he's most proud of. Mm-hmm. I don't know where that's going, but I just thought it was interesting <laughs> yeah, in, in terms yeah. of. Yeah, no, but it's it's interesting for anyone to consider. Like, I'm willing to bet the the people that the those are the exact same thing is a very small subset. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, like even like Scorsese or like Quentin Tarantino, they have their favorite movie, right? But it's not the popular choice. Well, and since you know, kind of since you've you you've introduced me to that question. I think about it a lot. I'll think about it in terms of, of writers or, or, you know, directors or musicians, you know, I'd love to ask Stephen King, you know, what, <laughs> what book are you most proud of and, and what, you know, which one of your titles has sold the most copies? I mean, I guess the, the latter is pretty easy to look up, but. Yeah, no. Yeah. Someone like that would be perfect. Mm-hmm. Answer that. He's, oh, I'd love to talk to him. On, on, for a number of reasons, uh, on writing is one of my favorite books. Uh, his, his, the adaptation of his book, the outsider is, is a terrific show on HBO. And I, I'd love to spend a few minutes. I couldn't spend too long in his mind because I think he would really creep me out, but <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would love to have a chat with him one time uh, in the daylight uh, <laughs> with lots oh, of people yeah, around. <laughs> Definitely in a neutral location. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to Maine to talk to you. I've read too many stories by you that take place in Maine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Subscribe to In Between in your favorite podcast app. You can also get every episode of In Between, as well as my other shows, Process Driven and Iterations, all in one feed by subscribing to Jeffrey Sidoris Everything. You can support the show by leaving a review or a rating wherever you listen, or by sharing it on social media. If you'd like to connect with me, you'll find me on Instagram and Twitter at Jeffrey Sedoris, that's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S, or on my website at jeffreysedoris.com. And if you've got questions or feedback or maybe an interesting story to share, email me at talkback at jeffreysedoris.com. You can find John on Instagram at John Wilkening, that's J-O-N-W-I-L-K-E-N-I-N-G, or by visiting his website at johnwilkening.com. As always, thank you very much for listening. I appreciate you being here. I'll talk to you on the next one. Mm